0: In the wake of Me Too, Time's Up, and the growing list of public figures who have been called out for sexual assault and misconduct, it can seem like exciting, spontaneous, and satisfying sex is an unattainable ideal. That sex is too deeply buried beneath misinformation, violence, and shame to be enjoyed anymore. And yet, I know from personal experience that that is not true. Despite the odds, people are having great sex all the time, but they don't always get the chance to talk about it. Well, today, listeners, I'm here to change that. My name is Robin, and this is The Peak. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Peak, the talk show about what makes good sex good. My name is Robin, and today I am here with my friend, Nava Mao. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Um, Before we dive in, I'm going to make a quick plug for our coffee account. Um, As I said in the last episode, The Peak now has a coffee account, which is an online tip jar. This year, we have plans to interview sexual health professionals around the country to bring you all more episodes and content to pique your interests. If you want to support the Peak, you can find the link to our coffee account on our website, Facebook page, Instagram account, and Twitter account, both of which are new, and there will be links in the, distric- in the description
1: of this episode.
0: So I am so excited for you to be here, Nava.
1: I am thrilled to be here. I'm a little nervous, you know, because we're going to talk about some some pretty intimate topics, but I am so excited to be here.
0: I'm excited too. And we don't have to dive into the intimacy first thing.
1: Um, <laughs> okay. We are going
0: to start by talking a little bit about you and talking about your bio. So you are a filmmaker, an actress, and a cultural worker. And right now you are working on a new film called Waking Hour, which was just released online on Vimeo, and there's a link in the description for that too. Um, Will you start by telling us a bit about that project?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, So Waking Hour is like my baby. Waking Hour has like 12 other parents is what I've been telling people because... It it started as as a very personal project to me, but it has become a labor of love for so many other people. And it's a short film about a young trans woman who meets a cute guy at a party, and he invites her to go home with him. So she has to decide what she wants to do, and and then we get to see kind of how they navigate her disclosure of the fact that she's trans.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm so excited to watch this show. Um,
0: so you not only star in the movie, you also wrote it and directed it too. Um, and I imagine that it's a very personal project for you. And I was wondering if it was based on your own experiences as a trans woman.
1: Yes, uh, definitely. Um, I would like to say that I just, I'm a creative genius and thought up the story, but it's very much based on my personal experiences. Um, it's It's been a pretty complicated journey figuring out how to date as a trans woman and how to navigate intimacy as a trans woman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What can you tell us about that? Um, about my experiences? Yeah, like yeah.
0: with... Um... With disclosing being trans to people, like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: when do you, how, how often do you disclose to people?
1: Uh, I've, I've handled this situation lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I should say like, I'm queer, I identify as queer, and I've dated a f- few women uh, but mostly, I, my experiences with intimacy and dating have been with with men, and mostly with cis men. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's a very particular type of of engagement: a trans woman and a cis man, mm-hmm. um, and it comes with high stakes. There's yeah. there's a lot of risks involved. Trans mm-hmm. women. Face a lot of of potential for violence, and that's something that's always at the forefront of my mind when I'm dealing with with cis men. Um, so I've tried different ways to to handle disclosure in a dating situation, and it's hard because you know it's not like everyone that I. And, like, dating, I meet from a dating app where I can kind of control what I present to people. Like, I've met people at the grocery store, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I've met people at the club. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I'll meet people, like, at a birthday party. And so it's like, when when does that come up sometimes? Mm -hmm. I think I'm in a place now where, because of my career that is just a little baby career that's mm-hmm. that's blossoming. Um you know, if if somebody asks me about what I do, pretty quickly, then I do talk about the fact that the work I do relates to trans identity and trans experience. And so then that opens up the question of, oh, so are you trans? Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're not talking about my career and especially a few years ago when that wasn't necessarily the case, like I I I don't really know when the appropriate time to disclose is. And I think I, I navigated that in, on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and truth be told, honestly, it was usually the point where, like, maybe clothes were about to come off. Where it was like, oh, shit. Like, I need to, okay, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it's like, all of a sudden you're making out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah usually it's it's yeah like there's been times where i was caught off guard that all of a sudden we were making out and it's like oh okay yeah we should stop um like i need to have a conversation with you mm-hmm. but um there's just definitely been a lot of cis men who like don't want to stop and so uh it's just it just gets really hated and really um confusing to know like what to do in that situation but like don't want to stop making out to have a conversation yeah i'm like no pl- like like okay i need to, I, like i need to tell you something i need it like no no, no pl- like seriously and it's funny because there's been a couple guys <laughs> like they think that i'm just playing coy or something like i don't know um or like maybe they think I have a boyfriend or something and it's like no like I really need to tell you something that I think will be very relevant to your decision making process yeah yeah um but usually my my goal is to actually really only be engaging with people who already know that I'm trans whether they know me through mutual friends or somehow it comes up early mm-hmm. um um Or I, like, would like to tell people on a first date or at the end of a first date or, like, Mm -hmm. in a text after a first date. That's my goal. Uh I think it's, it's useful to be able to get to know somebody and spend time with them without necessarily having to focus on, oh, you're trans, so... Tell me your life story. Tell me your trauma. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, now I can't. I'm not going to look you in the eye now. Like, I don't want to have any physical contact with you. I'm oh. scared to be in public with you. Like, it's nice to be able to have some experience bef- like before you have to ha- be dealing with all of that. Yeah. So usually it's, it's on the first date or at the end of the first date. But like I said, it gets tricky sometimes. <laughs> yeah,
0: I believe it. So you told me that you've done... Um, in addition to being a filmmaker and actress, you're also a cultural worker, and that you spent three years working with LGBTQ survivors of intimate partner violence. Uh, would you tell me about some of that work?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, it, was, it was really an honor to be able to do that work. Uh, sometimes I, I say, like, I wish I had so many more lives to live so that I could keep doing all these different types of work and working with different types of communities and being different versions of myself. But I'm grateful that I got to do that for, for, for those years. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people don't realize that queer and trans people experience intimate partner violence. <laughs> you know, it's a, the, I think the, the mainstream narrative around intimate partner violence Uh, also known as domestic violence is married straight cis people Mm -hmm. and um, you know that's not the case anybody can experience intimate partner violence and a lot of times when queer and trans people are experiencing violence in their relationships there are very specific needs and specific challenges that we face
0: Mm -hmm. wow So what sort of work were you doing with this organization? And what was the name of the organization?
1: Uh, I worked, well, first I worked at the Immigration Center for Women and Children, and that was actually working with women and children um, as a legal assistant. And then I worked at Community United Against Violence, and that's where I was specifically working with uh, queer and trans survivors. Um, I did lots of different things. Um, a lot of the work was culture change work, so capacity building with service providers and other nonprofits and community-based organizations. Um, a huge chunk of my work was was healing work, so doing peer counseling, uh, facilitating an arts-based wellness support group, um, doing workshops with with survivors. Um, Kuaf has these these amazing frameworks that are that are in place: self determination, boundary setting, request making, and self love.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I mean I learned about how to set boundaries, how to make requests, how to practice self determination and self love, and and it's it's something that can really ground. People's healing and allow them to access safety when they're in violent situations.
0: So, those words um, self determination, self love, boundary setting I know everyone knows what they mean, but I'm sure that they have like a specific meaning um, within the realm of um, domestic partner violence. Mm -hmm. And you, as a person who's worked in that field, um, what can you tell us about what these words mean specifically in that context?
1: So, um... Like
0: the four word frameworks Yeah, that you yeah.
1: I think that something, there are kind of a few keys to recognizing when a relationship is involving intimate partner violence. And that is isolation. Oftentimes a survivor becomes isolated from their community, their family, resources, and um, limiting or eliminating choices. And so these frameworks, I think, undo some of that and prevent that isolation and elimination of choice. So for example, self-determination speaks to a survivor being able to make choices about how they want to live their life, how they want to navigate their relationship. Um, You know, abusers will often dictate how survivors are to behave, how they're to dress, how they are to engage with other people. And, And that infringes upon survivors' boundaries. So setting boundaries is a practice that survivors can can use to to keep their their agency and keep their freedom and, and try to um to change the way that, that they're experiencing this this abusive relationship. Um because sometimes survivors need to get out of that relationship. And other times, survivors are doing their very best to survive all other types of violence and all other types of challenging situations. And so sometimes it's actually not the ideal choice to immediately leave that relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And as, as people who support survivors, it is not our place to force survivors to leave abusive relationships. So these frameworks provide ways for survivors to stay alive and for them to reach a point where they can make choices about their relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. What can you tell me about some of the different activities you mentioned um, that are part of your healing work?
1: Uh, like the arts-based activities? Yeah. Or the, um... Whatever you want to talk about. So, um, again, this is, these are frameworks that, that were created by KUOV and I don't work at KUOV anymore. Um, but I know that they are continuing to do that work and, um, and I, I think it's, it's, they have a fantastic curriculum and and set of frameworks. So (laughs) I'm trying to remember some of like what, maybe what a good example would be. I think, uh, Theater. There was there was um, theater activities that we would do that would allow survivors to practice how to say things, you know what to look out for, um, and explore their own feelings and their own their own conflicts. So role playing, you know, um, dialogue and reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think uh, when we say arts based, it we we used different forms of art. So there was theater, there was visual art, it was creative writing, um, we did music activities. And I think so much of it was about supporting survivors in, in being able to embody self-determination and how to, you know, practice setting boundaries and how to make requests and how to set themselves up to be able to practice self-love. It, so much of healing work is about the body and these these frameworks and, and, and the arts-based activities are about that. It, it's about being able to relate to these concepts in a tangible, physical way Instead of it just being these concepts that we're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. So like getting practice with
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, putting yourself in these situations in a
1: safer environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and seeing how it feels, right? Like, how does it feel to say that? How does it feel to write that? How does it feel to hear that? And, and we, we need that. A lot of times again as survivors you know choices are limited and and we're isolated so where where are we gonna have the opportunity to, to practice these things so Kuav provides that space
0: hmm and would you say that you're still doing that work of experimenting with different situations through your films
1: yeah I definitely see all of my work as related. I want us to thrive. I want us to heal. I want us to love each other better and and that's my mission in in creating stories for film and television i i I just think we can do better <laughs> yeah so um, and I believe in us and and um waking hour is a story that definitely focuses on you know things that are challenging and and it is written based on experiences of trauma so i see it as a starting point Mm -hmm. i see it as an introduction and my hope is to get to a point very soon where the work that i'm doing is about imagining and practicing and demonstrating what we can do and how we can treat each other well
0: Mm -hmm. so sort of um aspirational art yeah like what the world could be
1: i yes you know low-key my my dream is to make sci-fi I'm so excited to hear you say that. <laughs> that's that's my long-term goal. Um, I, I am able to hold long-term vision in my mind and focus on what it takes to get there. And I think sci-fi requires big budget. People are doing amazing things on a low budget in sci-fi and fantasy, but um, I think I need to get the craft of filmmaking down first Mm -hmm. and it is it's just easier to pull that off on a low budget when you're not doing sci-fi yeah (laughs) you know what i mean like like where am i gonna get a spaceship like (laughs) where am i gonna get the aliens um so that's my long-term goal is to is to make sci-fi and that's what sci-fi is about sci-fi is about commenting critiquing and imagining
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I and I think we need that. I think, Absolutely. yeah.
0: I saw some article recently that was talking about um, how sci-fi has sort of a reputation for um, representing these very dystopian societies, but how there's sort of an emerging movement of aspirational science fiction where things are not just complete political horror (laughs) stories they're stories
1: of what we could make yes yes i want to do that i i've been trying to figure out okay how do you tell a story about a, a utopia right if there's so much about dystopia what would it look like to represent a utopia that still has conflict exactly that still has people facing challenges and and it's actually just about dealing with conflict and resolving those challenges mm-hmm. in healthy ways in in ways that are not oppressive and they're not abusive um so yes i would like to get there and that's it's going to take a long time but that's what i'm building towards and hopefully the work that i do now and along the way, even if it's not sci fi, I still want to be from now on creating work that has, if not aspiration, inspiration or hope attached to it.
0: I love that. I am so excited to see all of the things that you made.
1: (laughs) Well, we got to get that money. So if anybody's listening, okay, I need financing for my projects. Yeah,
0: and you guys can support Waking Hour by sharing it or even donating to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hit me up for my Venmo. (laughs) Okay, so I am ready to move into the personal side of the interview, if you are.
1: I'm ready, okay.
0: Awesome. (laughs) So my first personal prompt is... Would you please tell us about your sexual identity and your sexual personality?
1: Okay. And I think I kind of touched on it before. But you did. I'll, you know, go over it. Um, I identify as queer, which to me means that I am not straight <laughs> and I have been attracted to and have had experience with people who are not just cis men um, and um i will continue to to experience that in my life that being said most of my experience and and i think my most frequent collaborators are men mm-hmm. um and my personality Um, I think it depends. I mean, I'm an actress. (laughs) True. (laughs) So I play lots of different characters. Um, Yeah, I'm fun. Um, My personality is definitely playful. Definitely um, a character who recognizes that It's a privilege to be able to have sex together Mm. and it should be something enjoyable and we should bring our best self. So I'm trying to be fully in it. I'm, I'm trying to set the scene all the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, I think there. I think I have different, I have different characters. You can ask me about them if you want. What do you mean
0: by that? You're using very theatrical language. Oh,
1: God. Oh, God. (laughs) I forgot this was a sex podcast. (laughs) Um, Okay. I think, honestly, I have to say at this point, my mother should stop listening if... If, you, if you're going to be tuned in, Mom, like, this is just not going to be cool, like... Yeah, pro- the rest of the I've, show. And probably all my family. <laughs> like, y'all just need to tune out. Um, uh, so, okay. Um, I I definitely... I, I haven't, like, played this character recently, but I definitely was giving virgin teas for a while, like, just... Uh, like, like, oh... Make me <laughs> show me the way. um, um, and then I definitely have a bad girl, and bad girl likes to take charge and likes to fight a little bit. Um, and and then I have like <laughs> I cannot believe I'm saying this. um, there's like. Girl in the friend group. Like the one oh, like,
0: like I'm just the cool girl. Uh-huh, you know.
1: Uh-huh. Like we're just hanging out naked. <laughs> 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 and touching each other, you know? Um yeah, those are those are kind of It's fine. This doesn't the, mean the, anything. The top three. The top those are the top three.
0: So are these like do you consider these roles of like characters that you purposefully put on or are these different sides of you that come out in different
1: situations no yeah it just comes out it just depends and it depends what mood i'm in and it very much depends on who my partner is Mm -hmm. yeah and i and i will say like i'm thinking also about like my ex i think sex with her was very much about care and that was it was about love um, and that's really kind of the only time I've ever had sex like that. Um, so I don't know what character that is, but I would say that that, mm-hmm. that was also a very different way of having sex.
0: Why do you use the word character?
1: Because <sighs> I'm an artist. I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> else to describe it. I'm just, I okay. just, I think, I, I play different characters throughout my life, throughout my day to day. Yeah. I play different characters, intentionally and unintentionally. So mm-hmm. naturally, that happens with sex as well, mm-hmm. because life is a performance. Yes, we're always performing. Yes. Yes. The yes, self. Yeah, and I have, I have no confusion about the fact that my entire life is a performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, it's a, it's oftentimes so unconscious. Like, yeah. Um, I think a, what makes a good performer is somebody who can recognize ways to make it more conscious
0: interesting so I would like to ask you a little bit about your transition
1: mm-hmm. oh that's right I did
0: that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when you realized you were trans <sighs> um
1: honestly I think I was 23 mm-hmm I I, I know a lot of people talk about knowing when they were very, very young, Um, but I truly had no idea that I was a woman until I was 23. Mm -hmm. I identified as genderqueer starting at age 19, um, and I transitioned in that way, so... Glitter and beards and tiny short shorts and, you know, six inch heels and just, just doing all sorts of things with my gender presentation.
0: Very like gender queer camp.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Big, huge bows. I would wear like birds in my hair <laughs> straight up, you know? Um, I loved it. I I miss those days sometimes, um, but that's that was me. That was me for about four years, mm-hmm. um, and it and at some point it it just I wasn't feeling good. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I, you know, I'm sh- I hope people at this point kind of understand what it might be like for somebody to have gender dysphoria and to feel like they are not living their life as the right gender. Um, I mean, that that is a deep, deep conflict within yourself. And so I'm not sure if that conflict has just always been there and I was trying to resolve it in different ways, or if that conflict kind of surfaced over time. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it was around 22, 21, 22 that I started, I mean, I've always had body image issues Mm -hmm. and it was always about fat Mm -hmm. and, and fat phobia. Right. Um, so I was anorexic. I, I had to go, I was partially hospitalized. Um, and so I dealt with that and I reached a point where I was, I had a much healthier body image, but something was still wrong, and and it was my body hair, and it was the shape of my body, not necessarily the size, and it was the body parts I had, and it was how people treated me, and it was the face that I saw in the mirror, and it was the fact that I would shave and, feel better but then you know a few hours later the hair is growing back like i there was a moment where i realized oh like this is gonna keep happening like it's just gonna keep coming out of my face (laughs) and i think that it was really it was body hair and facial hair for me that Mm -hmm. made me think okay maybe maybe this is something else and um And it just really took a lot of time for me to accept that I'm a woman and to recognize that I'm trans.
0: Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Um,
1: What what part of it?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I always... The next question I was going to ask you was, at what point did you realize that you were going to need to transition? But you just sort of answered that Mm -hmm. with your... Um, description of the hair mm-hmm. and how it was just always going to keep growing back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think that's very poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, did you decide like right away that you wanted to transition fully into being a woman at that point?
1: No. Oh my god. Every step of the way, I was so unsure. Uh-huh. and so anxious and so again because i had lived as genderqueer and recognizably genderqueer for so long i was not afraid to be gender nonconforming.
0: conforming yeah
1: um and i have wonderful friends who are gender nonconforming, conforming mm-hmm. and i was able to just kind of talk it out with them and i remember my friend eli is somebody who just really 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 supported me um in 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 those early stages because i just it's so scary it's so scary to like change your body you know some of the things are permanent um there's there's risks involved um and so and it's scary to change your name <laughs> and it's scary to have to tell people and and then on top of that there's the violence and there's the discrimination so it's it was just so scary and so i i had to do it step by step mm-hmm. um, and at each step of the way i i had to turn to people and be like okay should i like what should i do should i do this and and i kind of it helped me recognize that by doing it that way at least in the early stages I could still change my mind Mm -hmm. so I could change my name and then change it back or change it again and I did that Mm -hmm. I changed my name twice
2: yeah
1: um you know with body hair removal I, I started with laser laser hair removal I could stop that at any point and, you know, over time it probably would would grow back. Um, And then hormones. I could go on hormones, see how I feel, see how things are going, and I could stop that and go back. Mm -hmm. So I did it that way and each step of the way I was not sure and it was definitely something I just needed to try. But I just had this feeling like... I think that there's something better for me. And I yeah. just had to trust that feeling, that intuition that it probably would be better if I lived this way.
0: Wow. That's really amazing. I just wanted to make a comment that I said earlier that you transitioned fully. Mm-hmm. Um in the context of this conversation, I just mean that you've taken hormones and had surgical procedures done what i do not mean is that in order to be legitimately trans people have to quote unquote fully transition um and i just wanted to make that disclaimer on what i had said um i
1: appreciate that yeah Yeah. because again like i consider me changing my appearance and my pronouns at age 19 to be the beginning of my transition yeah and that can be enough that can be a full transition it
0: can yeah absolutely um so you've had you've done hormones and laser therapy um you mentioned before the interview that you've had bottom surgery um and that this was all very nerve-wracking but ultimately affirming for you yeah yeah so this might be a very personal question if it is too personal. You don't have to answer it. But so, how do you feel now? Do you still experience gender dysphoria?
1: Mm, mm. Yes, I do. Um, not very often. I think I have a lot of privilege that a lot of trans feminine people and trans women do not have, which is that people see me and they assume that I'm cis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of my body essentially conforms to a mainstream idea of what a woman's body looks like. Um, And so does my face, to a large extent. And I have long hair. And I'm small. And I'm pretty. You know, like... You are. <laughs> Um, I'm light-skinned like there's a there's a lot of things that about me that do fall in line with what society expects a woman to be and and that I think makes it so that I, I do not experience that much gender dysphoria as I used to um, but obviously I I'm still having my own trans experience, and i'm I do experience dysphoria um there's there's this tricky like thing that happens where or at least for me, there are things that I was not dysphoric about until I started medically transitioning or I started paying attention to them or I changed one thing and it's It's the strangest thing um, like I'm trying to think of an example. Um, maybe my, maybe my voice is an example. I've never had a problem with my voice. I mean, I never loved like hearing it, but most people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I started appearing and presenting it in a more binary, feminine gender, mm-hmm. that I started to recognize that my voice played a role mm-hmm. in my presentation and how people treat me. And, and so the more I paid attention to that and the more I realized what was going on with my voice, I started to struggle with my voice not being able to do what I wish it would do. Mm-hmm. And sounding too much like a man, which is absurd because I have a very feminine sounding voice, um, but dysphoria makes it so that I hyper fixate on that. And so I think with dysphoria, there is this this balance we have to strike of self-acceptance and self-love and appropriate you know, medical or social transition that mm-hmm. will help alleviate that dysphoria.
0: Wow. That's a really fascinating insight. Thank you for answering that personal yeah, question. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm,
1: yeah. And let me know if I'm talking too much. Like. No, you're fine. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> um. So what has been your favorite thing about transitioning?
1: Um, uh, yay, yay. My favorite thing... <laughs> How do I describe it? I think estrogen. Mm-hmm. Because estrogen changes the way you feel in addition to the way your body appears and functions. Um. There are times where I just feel so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel... Yeah like soft um, I like how emotional I am <laughs> um, I don't know I just I, I I like that I I feel like I can relate to women um, because of how estrogen makes me feel because mm-hmm. I think that it's similar to how estrogen makes all women feel yeah obviously we all have our own experience in our bodies and womanhood but there are things that that I think uh we can relate to as women
0: Mm -hmm. I definitely think so yeah so let's talk about sex
1: (laughs) okay okay back to sex yes yes yes. sex podcast yes
0: well, but it's all relevant. Yes, um, yes. Gender and sex, although different, are very connected in many ways. Um, so, would you please tell me about your first time having sex? Oh my or a god! Sig- <laughs> or a significant
1: early <laughs> uh, sexual experience? Oh lord. Um, okay. I think I think I might. I think I might give you the first time because. Why not?
0: Um, Okay. Whatever you're comfortable with.
1: I had this friend. And so, like, this... At this time, I was still publicly identifying as a boy. And a straight boy. But I had, you know, I had a couple friends who, obviously, I had talked about, like, maybe I'm bi. And that's the word that felt right for me at the time. Um, And one of those friends had run away from home <laughs> this is nuts this is nuts i cannot believe i'm sharing this but um i asked my dad if we could go pick him up cuz he was like panicked he was like up in a tree oh just like <laughs> it was it was it was drama um and um he came and slept over at the house and and then that was that was the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was nice to have my first time be with a friend. Um I think there there are some parts to it that down the line, like, were not ideal. Um, there was a rumor that started going around about me after after that first time um, that I, I leave people high and dry. Mm. And it was this, like, looking back, I'm like, see, I've been experiencing shit that girls go through forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, cause I, I chose to stop at some point, mm-hmm. um, because I was, anxious and dealing with homophobia and um, young and inexperienced and I just, you know, we did a couple things and, and mm. then I didn't want to do any more.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and, and because of that, then that rumor um, mm. started going around. About and this me. was in high school. In high school.
0: Yeah. 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 Wow. For like
1: were people calling you a prude, essentially? No. It was, like, a tease. Yeah.
0: yeah that's the, That's what I meant.
1: Yeah. Which is, like... Like, come on. Like, we actually still had sex. Like, what do you mean? But, um... Yeah. I guess it's just... It wasn't enough. Huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So this was... Was this a spontaneous thing?
1: Oh, 100%. percent mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, we had both been like horny, yeah, but yeah, no, it wasn't something that that we had talked about or planned,, mm-hmm. um, although there's something about being that age where you you both like or you know everybody involved just kind of like makes decisions in tandem. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to talk about it. And Everyone's you're just, just like, sure, let's have a sleepover.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. T- you make choices along the way that will yeah. put you in the situation exactly. where you potentially can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So how did you feel about
1: that sex at the time? At the time, um, I, it was great. Um, I was like, okay, like, cool. I did that Mm. for the first time. Um, And it confirmed my thoughts that I probably liked men. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, I'm trying to remember if I then... I think it was after that experience. Then I had a girlfriend um, for about five months. And... Um, I, at, at that age, I loved her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would count as love now. Um, and then it was after that relationship that I sort of returned to exploring my sexuality again.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you started having sex as a teenager before you even... Started your transition as a genderqueer person. hmm mm-hmm. Um, would you talk about some experiences at different stages of your transition and how sex has changed for you between like <laughs> identifying as a teenage straight boy to being genderqueer to being a queer trans woman? Oh Lord.
1: Um It's a big question. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> um I think um, I I had more early sexual experiences as a teenager with friends that were affirming and fun and safe. And I'm really, really grateful for those. Um, That's so good to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then right around when I was 18, I started having sexual experiences that were more conflictive or traumatic or violent Mm -hmm. um and it again it's looking back it's like oh wait that maybe shouldn't have gone that way Mm -hmm. um so i i just um i think uh, I think I, in some ways, I took what I could get. I, have for a very long time, felt very isolated from the sort of, it felt like a secret world of sex that gay guys got to have. And I was just kind of on the margins of that, like, because of my body and trying to figure out well like who can i have sex with if i'm genderqueer you know um and male assigned at birth Mm -hmm. um so it was like people from apps a lot of older men um i didn't get to have the the sort of like meeting people at a party Mm-hmm. Or dating anybody or um you know just like a, a friend or or meeting somebody in person and like having like a casual thing. I had a lot mm-hmm. of one time experiences with men from apps mm-hmm. um and you know, those kind of run the gamut of, of how those experiences were. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've definitely, and unfortunately I've, I've experienced traumatic sexual experiences several times. Um, and when I then transitioned again and identified as a trans woman, Um, That's the first time that I started engaging intimately with straight cis men. So I was about 24, 25 Mm -hmm. when I started sleeping with straight cis men. And that shift, (laughs) that to me feels like the most significant um, shift in an experience that I've had. It's just, oh man, that is full of, of complication and, um, danger yeah. and feelings. Um, yeah, that, the, these past few years have, have changed me. Um, I'm, yeah. And, and there are a lot of ways that i've changed but engaging intimately with straight cis men changes you how so uh, um i feel like i started experiencing what it what it's like to feel like somebody's using you for sex mm. Again, even though that's a lot of what I experienced before anyway, it, the the way that that feeling came about was different with straight cis men. Because there's this performance that straight people do around dating where straight men are supposed to like woo a woman. Mm -hmm. and like convince her that there's the possibility of more than just sex and that that's how you convince a woman to have sex with you you get her to have feelings for you (laughs) that's the sort of historical script that straight people follow and I, I just didn't know I literally did not know That this is how it was. And I had to experience it a few times to realize like, oh, like he's lying or (laughs) he's faking or he just wanted to fuck. And this was all, you know what I mean? Like I, I still have to remind myself like out loud, like, okay, Nava, like this is what's happening right now. Like, don't, don't get caught up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That
0: is a v- that is definitely a very real game mm-hmm. that straight people mm-hmm. play.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's something that people warn you about. Mm-hmm. Like, aunts and grandmas and mm-hmm. abuelitas will everyone be like, oh, men are trash. They only want one thing. Mm-hmm. They will woo you with a thousand words, but they're all liars. Don't mm-hmm. listen to them. Mm-hmm. And we're all just sort of like, whatever, grandma. Bye. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go do what I want. Yeah. And then it happens to you and you're like... <gasps>
1: yeah yeah so and I had why to,
0: aren't they just straightforward though right like just say it that yeah, you just want to hook up
1: like I'm at a different place where I, I don't know how that would go for me but I definitely have many times in my life been so down to just hook up like yeah. can we skip the dinner like <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's like that yeah yeah, it's, but it's it's not just that they're following a script about how to successfully obtain the pussy, mm-hmm. which is what it is. It's about obtaining. It's it's about winning the pussy. The conquest. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that they're following that script, but I really think a lot of times for a lot of men, that's part of the allure. That's part of the desire is to play this game and to get her to fall in love with you. Mm-hmm hmm. It's it's about power. Um, and I'm working on communicating less cynicism about men um, because I in my heart, I like I said, I want us to win. I want us to thrive. I want us to heal. And I think we can do that collectively.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So when I talk about negative experiences with men and trends that I've noticed with men, I want to make sure to also recognize that I know there are lots of men out there who are doing good, hard work Mm -hmm. to change the way that they're behaving and that other men are behaving and Mm -hmm. that I have had experiences with men that are, are affirming and empowering and safe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, men are also great. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I did an interview recently where I I really feel like I just went off on men. And
0: I'm like, oh, like, well,
1: uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. It happens to I the know, best of us. I know, I know. It's, yeah, but.
0: um, But on the topic of communicating about sex and these sort of, like, in-between-the-lines rituals that we perform around, like, actual sexual activity. Um, could you talk about consent
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how you, like, came to understand consent at different periods in your life?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I first learned the concept of consent in college.
2: hmm
1: And I think it's important to recognize that... Privilege and lack of privilege um, to access certain spaces and certain resources oftentimes dictates people's knowledge and practice of consent. Yeah. Um, so I didn't learn about it until college. There's, you know, trainings and there's this organization at Pomona um, called The Advocates. Uh, and so they were very big about uh, spreading awareness about consent um, and I learned about enthusiastic consent, which is different than transactional consent where it's like, you know, well, like, I don't know, you just agree to let it happen kind of, <laughs> yeah. um, versus enthusiastically communicating that you want something and that you're excited about something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Wanting it's,
0: something versus accepting
1: it. Yeah, and and it's about saying yes and waiting for the yes instead of waiting for the no. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you, you don't start until the yes versus stop when you hear no. Like, obviously, mm. still stop when you hear no. Yeah. <laughs> but enthusiastic consent is about practicing getting to a point where we all are looking for that yes. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's been a journey for me to figure out how I'm practicing consent and recognize unhealthy behaviors around consent. I feel some guilt about the ways that I've engaged intimately with people in the past. Um, You know, I've even thought about, like, reaching out to people that I'm not, like, in touch with, but just being like, hey, like, I just want to check in because my memory of of this experience we had feels like I, like I wasn't practicing the best form of consent. And I don't think that we created a space together where you were able to exercise consent Mm -hmm. either. Um, and of course I've, I've had experiences where I was not able to practice consent and, um, you know, I've I've felt violated, and and um, you know, had to kind of figure out like how am I going to get out of this situation now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't call the experiences that I've had rape because I think that's a very particular type of violation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I I have identified a few instances of sexual assault. Yeah. Um, and and consent is sort of the guiding principle around what that experience means to me yeah and so I, I've been able to recognize times where my consent was not was not um, where it was violated yeah um And now I am at a point where I I just always strive to ask questions to encourage people to, to practice consent and where if I don't feel like I'm going to be able to practice consent, like, I I don't want to engage. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate that you bring, that you brought in, like, the conversation of consent both as, like, a person who feels like she's been violated As well as a person who looks back and realizes that, like, I might have hurt someone or I might not have honored someone's wishes Mm -hmm. or even worried about checking in with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really important to look at this situation um, from both of those perspectives because... It's, it's challenging and kind of scary, whichever way you look at it. Like, it's intimidating and sad to like, look at an experience and realize like, wow, that person wasn't concerned about what I wanted. But in my opinion, it's even like harder to look back and be like, wow, was I concerned about what my partner wanted? And so I just appreciate that you brought that to the table mm-hmm. and shared that as well.
1: Yeah. And it's something that I'm still figuring out. Like, I don't, I don't really know how to handle that because I I don't wanna trigger anybody if if they did have to Yeah. Kind of deal with with some some healing
0: mm-hmm.
1: around intimate experiences with me. Um and it all might be just my memory. Maybe they didn't feel that way at all. Yeah. <sighs> you know, and, and- Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 it has been hard to figure out kind of it is. how to, to deal with that.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, communication can be tricky even when it's not talking about sexuality. And I really appreciate that conversations about consent, especially like active, enthusiastic consent, are becoming more prevalent and... Yeah, I, I feel as though, like, come hell or high water, we are moving towards that as a society, and I'm just glad that it's happening. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. So you mentioned that Waking Hour, your film, um, also uh, contains themes and conversations about consent. What can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, so without spoiling the plot... Um, I think that in, in Waking Hour, we get to see a story where Sophia, the main character, is is promised or, or sort of offered a certain type of experience. She's meeting this cute guy at a party, they leave together, um, and, and then w- that experience ends up being affected by the fact that she discloses that she's trans. And, and so how she's treated is different before and after her disclosure. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and we'll, we'll get to see in waking hour how she navigates that and, and how she is able to still, advocate for herself and we also get to see you know that that shift in behavior from Isaac the cute mm-hmm. guy that she meets and it's a point for interrogation and I think that it can hopefully be a, a point of discussion for people to recognize ways that they have either experienced things like what Sophia and Isaac experienced or Or ways that they have actually behaved like one of those characters.
0: Mm -hmm. So I would now like to move on and ask you about some of your best sexual experiences.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you would be so kind. Sure. It's funny because I I do have like a running list in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, I
0: hope it's a long one.
1: Uh okay, well it stops. Like I I I had a top 3 and then like people infiltrated the top 3 so it's a top 5. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, people are going to text me and be like, "So, am I in your top 5?" <laughs> um but um some I mean, how do I explain? What like what, what do you want to know about these experiences? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, you writer. Set the
0: scene. Tell us what happened and tell us what was good about it.
1: Um. All right. Okay. So actually, I think I'm going to talk about this one experience I had in college. Okay. Somebody from an app, and he just came over um, randomly one day. You know, we didn't know much about each other, um, and the chemistry was just there Mm -hmm. um we made out a lot um it was I think I'm pretty sure it was like spring so it was also kind of like hot in the room Mm -hmm. um it was a lot of body contact and there was actually no penetration it was just like rubbing and touching and other stuff Mm -hmm. um and, and we just kind of got into like a rhythm of, of touching and, and it, it just felt so good. Like, <laughs> I mean, I can't, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, oh, um, yeah, um, it, it was pretty simple and probably not too long. It was I don't know probably like at my place for like 45 minutes maybe mm-hmm. um but I've never forgotten that time and um and it was just it was so joyful um like I think that I, I talked about characters that I play like I I think in that scenario it was just chill like mm-hmm. it was, I I wasn't like really performing anything. It was just, it was just hanging out sexually. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's like you don't have to put on the, the mask.
2: Mm-hmm, You're mm-hmm. just being
1: yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for that one time. <laughs> I won't say your name, but.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. So, what was good about that time? It was the chemistry and the,
1: I guess, successful friction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I felt safe. Um, I, I just, I felt like we were both only going to do what we wanted to do. And and like I said, you know, there was no penetration. And so we just didn't, we didn't it didn't even come up. Really, we just didn't do it, huh um and and i i I don't know, it just worked, yeah. tell me another <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's see um Uh, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll tell the, if you want, I'll tell the first half of this story because this is the part with the good sex. Okay. And then the second half is heartbreak. (laughs) So I won't get into that. Um, Okay. But yeah, um, it was the first time with this one guy that I like Mm -hmm. fell in love with and a whole thing. Um. But um we hadn't like th- we just really held off for a while on any real contact. Like we had like hugged and like sort of cuddled and like maybe like touched our hands. But we really held off. Mm-hmm. Um and then um it was we had spent a whole day together. Um and, and we just, it was, that whole day was ridiculous. Like, I keep, I can't even get into like everything that happened that day. And then there was like multiple people involved that day. But, um, so we had spent the whole day together and five, so we're at his apartment and I'm deciding like, okay, am I going to go home or am I going to stay? And it was I actually still had not told him that I was trans because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's how I was living at, the, at that time in my life. Um, I very much had that moment that Sophia has in the mirror in Waking Hour. I had already shot waking hour, but I had that moment in real life oh, after wow. after we shot that film.
0: When life imitates art. Oh life.
1: god. Um so I was in the looking in the mirror at his place talking to myself like okay, this could go south at any moment, like you know what I mean? Like you got to really be ready, you got to make some decisions here, like what's going on. Um and um yeah, so I eventually So I chose to stay It was just like impossible to leave It was at that point Like we had just It was impossible to leave Um, And so I stayed And um, I disclosed And that required a whole conversation Mm -hmm. And like um, You know he kind of needed a moment And um, there was some difficult parts to that But then He got over it (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then we had sex and it was like, and so it's like, oof, just the kissing, it was like, because we had held off for so long that once we finally touched, like once our bodies finally connected, like it was, it felt like hot glue. You know, like a hot glue gun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like if you get that on anything and it's sticky and it like it's hot, it's hot. It kind of burns you. Yeah. Like that's how it felt. It was. Whoa. I was like, once we finally touched, like we could not separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so, and like literally, it was I? Can't, it was like hard to remove our limbs because we just wanted to be so stuck to each other. Uh-huh. It was. It was so much. It was too much, honestly. Um, and yeah. And so then we, we had sex. We did things. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's really one of only two times that I remember enjoying vaginal penetration. Uh-huh. Um and that's actually the last time that I ever enjoyed pen- vaginal penetration. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, because I have like issues from surgery uh-huh. that now essentially means like I can't have penetration. Um, and yeah, it's healing from from vaginoplasty is is weird because it's it's a long game. You kind of don't know until you're like a year out how it went and that whole first year you're doing dilations Mm -hmm. multiple times a day oh wow so i had to dilate four times a day for the first month uh three times a day for the second month and then two times a day it was supposed to be for for the whole first year but it was actually only the i only did six months because i had a movie to make and i was over it and um and then dilating once a day for the whole first year, and then you are supposed to dilate once a week for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was right around, like the like the ten month mark.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I, yeah, I, I still at that point was able to have penetration, but I was injured from that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tricky because I enjoyed it very much, yeah, um, but i I was significantly injured. Mm. Um, and so it was since that time I have not chosen to have vaginal, vaginal penetration mm-hmm. um, and um, and i I just don't I can't do it anymore. Um, as far as I know, at this stage in yeah. my recovery, that's where I'm at. Who knows what medical miracles are in store for my Mm -hmm. future and, you know, other, other options for penetration that are not just like a large penis. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, would you talk a little bit about how sex for you has changed over the course of your transition?
1: Um, yeah, um, I, so one of my motivations for having bottom surgery was sex, obviously. <laughs> I love sex. I've always loved sex. Um, I've always been good at it. Um. And I just started to feel like I wasn't able to have the type of sex that I wanted. I -hmm. wasn't able to do it in the way that I wanted. And, um, I kind of, honestly, I've all, I've never identified as a bottom ever, Mm -hmm. ever, ever. I was always versatile and there was even a time where I identified as a top, Mm um, Which I think speaks to my sexual personality and the characters that I play. Um, So, but I kind of figured out like, okay, yeah, I want to use my genitals in sex, but I don't think I want to use them this way. Mm -hmm. And so um, I decided to have vaginoplasty. And before I had surgery... Um, sex was like I could usually find a way to make it enjoyable Mm -hmm. Um, you know like cause I could pleasure myself or like I feel like people can kind of easily figure out what to do with a phallus Mm -hmm. Um, and because of the nerve endings literally like the number of nerve endings that I had Mm -hmm. Um, before surgery it was just like kind of easier yeah Um, and after surgery I you know like I didn't orgasm for nine months wow um, and couldn't you know I like tried and just didn't I felt a lot of numbness Or I would kind of feel some pleasure and it would kind of build but no release. Um, I felt a lot of pain in that area Mm -hmm. and sometimes still do feel pain um, when when I'm experiencing pleasure. Um, And... I had to wait to be able to try penetration and I had to dilate and dilating is not sexual.
0: Yeah.
1: Dilating is sometimes excruciating. It's annoying. It's, it takes a lot of time. It's gross. You know, like it, it, (laughs) um, it's a medical process. Yeah. Um, so, But I was, I was really, really, really excited to have sex with my new vagina. Mm -hmm. Like, oof. So the moment that I could, I did. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so um, it, that first time having sex with my vagina was fine there was like certain parts about the person that I was doing with and the situation that were very risky and um it was just not like good for me yeah but the sex itself like was fine I didn't feel that much yeah um and so I think it was like okay like good I got the first time over with Like, I'm going to try again. So then I had a revision. So then I had to wait a revision surgery. So Mm -hmm. then I had to wait again to be able to have sex. Um, So then the next time I was like cleared for sex, um, that's when I started to have problems. Um, Yeah. So every time that I have had penetrative sex since that revision surgery, I have torn Mm. Um, inside and or on the outside of my vagina. Um, And it's so painful and it's like bloody and um, takes forever to heal and I'm supposed to be dilating and it's just like, it's a nightmare. Um, And it has been really, really challenging to figure out. Okay, so... What am I going to do about sex? And I'm still very much figuring it out. Um, The other piece is that I have largely lost my libido Mm -hmm. because of hormonal differences in post-surgery. So I kind of, it's it's just easy for me to forget about sex. I'm like, Oh, I just, so I actually like didn't have sex for nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, partially kind of like a, okay, let me try to be celibate. And also like, I didn't want to. I just didn't want to with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm now at a place where I would like to start figuring out how I'm going to have sex that does not involve penetration um, how I'm going to be able to receive pleasure um, and how I'm going to be able to form relationships mm-hmm. with regards to sex yeah yeah that chapter remains to be written <laughs> Guys.
0: well I definitely I have I have a lot of faith in your future I believe that your future will be bright and I wish you the best of luck Thank on you. that sexual journey. I
1: Yes, I have hope. Um, life is long. Life
0: is long. The world is wide. Yeah. There are lots of different kinds of people. Yeah. So it is almost time to wrap up the interview. But I would like to ask what you have, what has been the most important lesson for you over the course of your sexual life?
1: I I kind of wish I had something more profound, but (laughs) what comes to mind is only do what you want to do. Don't do anything sexual because somebody else wants you to do it. Because somebody... Because you... Think that somebody else will like it if you do it. Um, Don't do it just because that's the only way you've ever done it. You know, in every sexual experience, it's important to ask yourself, what do I want to do? Okay. What does the other person want to do? That requires communication. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that you can figure out what you can do together. And I think we should be asking ourselves those questions all the time.
0: I think so, too. Yeah. I think that's a very, like,
1: clear. It's simple. It's very simple. It's simple. Yeah.
0: See, sex isn't really complicated. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, Nava, do you have any closing words before we go?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for having me on, on the show. Ah, thank you. This has you. been such a wonderful conversation. Mm-hmm. I definitely talked about a few things that I've like maybe never told anybody and definitely not, you know, <laughs> on a podcast. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate this opportunity and I admire this space that you've created for people to, to have these conversations. Thank you. Um, I want to say... Th- uh, that people are welcome to reach out to me um, via my website navamau.com mm-hmm. that's n-a-v-a-m-a-u dot com and it has contact information on there if people need to be connected to resources um, and please please check out my film waking hour a lot yes. of people have worked really hard on this project I'm really proud of what we've created and I, I hope that this story can be meaningful to to anybody who who needs it mm-hmm. and so you can find waking hour online for free at wakinghourfilm.com uh, and that's w-a-k-i-n-g h-o-u-r-f-i-l-m.com awesome and follow me on Instagram. <laughs> you should. Her her Instagram is gorgeous. <laughs> it's Nava Mao. And on Twitter, okay? Because I have thoughts. I'll
0: link to all of it. Yes, I'll okay, link to good. all of like, it.
1: come on. Like, yeah, let's she's let's... smart
0: and pretty. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nava, it has been such an honor to have you on the show. Especially since there's uh, exclusive information <laughs> on The Peak only. And... Yes. I'm just so happy I got to spend some time with you. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you too. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Peak, which is hosted and produced by me, Robin. Our theme music was written by Johnny Manchild of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. You can follow us on Facebook or at our website, thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeak.blubrry.net. If you have a question or comment about anything we talked about today, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, send me an email at thepeakpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.